Hey, hey, hey! This is me again, the Kasha English. Welcome to the second episode of my podcast. And at the same time, I want to say a big, big thank you to everyone who has listened to the first episode, who has sent me messages, sharing the feedback and telling me how helpful you found this, um, let's say, a rather spontaneous first episode that I had made for you. So here we go, second episode, and today I have five London habits that may shock you. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the underscore K-A-S-I-A underscore English, the Kasha English. See you around. So most of you probably know that I moved to London back in 2011, 11 years ago. And actually, exactly in 28 days, it will have been 11 years since I moved. I had booked the tickets for the 31st of August 2011 um, to move here and, you know, kind of like, give it a go living in another country. And I remember it was quite stressful then because that was the time, um, August 2011 was the time of the London riots. And, you know, I don't know if you remember that story, but basically um, the youth, young people, roadmen, and, you know, all kinds of, actually all kinds of teenagers from all classes um, decided to go out onto the streets decided to break into shops, put buildings on fire and basically um, rebel against the authority. Actually, as I speak, I don't quite remember where it started, um, but maybe I'll remember that later. So anyway, um, yeah, during those 11 years with like a, let's say, two-year break when I wasn't living in London, um there have been many things that I've observed that are not quite as they are back in Europe or back in Poland. So really being here on the island, you kind of can see the difference between the European way of life or European way of looking at things and the kind of Islander looking at uh, Islander way of looking at things, right? So you know the first thing that we learn about the UK is not only that the Queen is you know kind of still, I mean, ruling not ruling the country, but you know that they still have the institution of uh, royal family and the Queen, but that they drive on the left hand side. So this is basically the first thing that shocks us, right? It's not only typical of London; is basically a thing. Um, you know, a rule you can see across the UK and other countries, Commonwealth countries like Australia or Japan. Um, I'm not sure about Hong Kong, actually. Um, but yeah, and India, do they drive on the left-hand side in India? That would make sense. Um, but yeah, driving on the left-hand side, actually, um, believe it or not, driving on the left-hand side used to be the original way of driving. So before Napoleon, all the roads were kind of, you know, adapted to the left-hand side. It was the Napoleon that changed the direction of traffic. 
because he just didn't find it comfortable. And that was when he was um, on his way to Russia. So um, it basically comes from the medieval times where the knights were kind of, you know, fighting with each other, holding a a spade, um, a spear, sorry, and a shield um, whilst driving, riding a horse, driving a horse, riding a horse. So apparently that that's where it comes from. So yeah, I mean, it is quite a uh, learning curve for those who first come to London or anywhere else in the UK. And, you know, like even years after living here, Although you do see the signs on, you know, on the side of the road, look left, look right. And even if you do look left, you still kind of feel tempted to look to the right to make sure that nobody is coming from the other direction. Because this is just something so deeply ingrained in our kind of subconscious in a way, isn't it? So this is the first thing that may shock you. Even if you've heard it all your life and then, you know, you come to the UK, come to London and, whoa, you kind of have to handle that left-hand side traffic. So, yeah, that would be the first thing that um, that I've added to the five. I mean, th- this is actually not a habit, but a sort of a phenomenon. So moving on from this one, um, we will still kind of stay within the field of transport and moving around a city so you know this is something that actually shocked me and that really shocked me and um, this is something I hadn't seen until I moved back to London in 2017 because before I didn't really travel that much by bus but when I moved back in 2017 I lived in Peckham in South London and I was uh, was working in Holborn. So, you know, South London is not really that well connected with the rest of London, like the northern part is, the part north of the river. So very often you just need to take a bus to, you know, kind of get a direct link between, um, you know, the start and the destination and going to. So I was uh, taking this 171 bus to go to work straight from Peckham to Holborn and um, when passing by Waterloo and Waterloo is one of the main kind of commuter hubs in London as there is a Waterloo train station so you get a lot of people traveling from the suburbs from the outskirts and also from kind of a neighboring county Surrey and Kent etc so you do get a lot of people there changing you know, changing and hopping on the train, but also hopping on a bus. And then during the rush hour, you get to see, but literally you get to see 10 meter long queues of people waiting to board a bus. And, you know, this is something peculiar because you've probably heard about how British people love queuing. And on the one hand, you could say, oh, it's just a stereotype. Do not generalize it. But I do remember my colleagues, my British colleagues, English and Welsh, laughing about how they love queuing at the airport. And um, one of them actually mentioned that her Italian boyfriend would always go like, what the hell? Why are you queuing at the gate if, you know, the gate is still not open? But this is just something that, you know, some people prefer doing so um you could 
actually see it reflected perfectly, um, you know, every morning at Waterloo Station around, what time was it? It would be around 8.30, let's say. 8.30, 8.40, you would see a 10 meter long queue, an ideal line, you know, not a hectic, messy kind of crowd of people uh, storming the door, the front door of a bus, but a neat 10 meter line. So that would be definitely something that might shock one or two, you know, one or two people. And then, you know, still kind of staying on that bus. Once you have reached a destination, you will thank the driver. So very often uh, you will hear people getting off the bus, just kind of, you know, saying or shouting, thank you, driver. Thank you, bus driver. And um, it actually might turn a couple of heads first, you know, tourist. Tourists might actually be quite surprised to um, to hear that. Um, but also if you move to London, uh, you might be like, okay, why are they thanking the driver? I mean, on the one hand, it's quite logical, right? You're happy that the driver got you safely to the, you know, point um, of, of your journey where you want to kind of get off and um, you just thank him for it. And we know that in the British society, uh, we tend to say a lot of thank yous, pleases and sorries, right? Um, so yeah, that would be another point, thanking the bus driver. Yeah, funnily enough, there is this kind of a saying, mind your peace and cues, which refers to thank yous, pleases and sorries, right? Thank you, please and sorry. It's incredible how you can change the meaning of a sentence by adding a simple please at the end. So even if you add can or could in a request, might not be enough not to sound, you know, a bit rude. I mean, that also depends on the connection between people and the nature of the relationship. But basically, please is a kind of a magic word like in any language, but I would say that in the British English version, we use it up to four or five times more than in any other language, but don't quote me on that. This is just a rough estimate. So another London habit that may shock you is people leaving the house with wet hair. Mm-hmm. Did you know that now you can book my one-to-one or a group course with a 15% discount? Yes, we are in the third month of summer and I don't want to be a party pooper, but yes, soon we will have to go back to work and go back to school and we'll be broke after the summer holiday, but we will also want to kind of turn a new leaf and start a new project and making maybe make our dreams come true. So here we go. I'll give you 15% on booking any of my courses that you can start now in August, but also in September or October. Let me know what you think. Get in touch via Instagram, the Kasha English at the underscore Kasha underscore English. See you around.
Okay, well, what's so strange about it? You'd say, yes, in the summer, you know, your hair will dry naturally. If you do not really care about having a super, you know, super lustrous or super super silky smooth hair, and you kind of don't mind that kind of frizz, that natural curl or wavy kind of wavy look to it. Um, that's absolutely fine. But what about colder months? What about leaving the house with wet hair in autumn or winter? Okay, these are not Polish temperatures. They come nowhere near Polish winter temperatures. But still, even if the temperature drops to eight degrees, it kind of feels like it's four degrees. It's just because we're closer to the Atlantic Ocean, and the air is more humid. That in the middle of the continent where Poland lies, for instance, right? So this is something that has always kind of, you know, blown my mind. Why do people leave their houses in the morning with wet hair? It's freezing cold. It's humid, and they just kind of, you know, don't seem to mind really. Well, I would say, and I kind of discussed it with my boyfriend as well. There are two reasons for that. So, as you know, London is such a huge place um, that the average time of going anywhere, the average commute time is around forty minutes. If it takes you forty minutes door to door to get anywhere you're going, you're lucky. I would say this is like a bare minimum, unless you're just moving locally. But let's say. I live in one part of the city, and then my friends live just across the city. You know, this is like going to a completely, you know, like a whole different country. You can hop on a train in Kings Cross and be in France in ninety minutes, and the same would apply to me going from where I live to, let's say, southeast London, right? Which I'll have to do this Saturday、um, to attend my friend's birthday. So wish me luck. Yeah, kind of a time-saving strategy would be the first reason for why people won't dry their hair, blow dry their hair before they leave the house. Another reason could be electricity. And hey, don't get me wrong; nobody wants to pay bills. Nobody wants to overpay. I know. You hate paying the bills. So do I. I usually press that pay button with closed eyes, but you see, this is electricity here is something quite peculiar. For instance, in winter, although the temperatures are not really freezing, British people do not tend to turn the heating on. And although some might not do it for ecological reasons, many of them will not do it just to save the pound, save the quid. So I also discussed it with several friends from London who were actually born and bred in London, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, actually, my the first thing I think about is not turning the heating on when it's cold, but just putting on another layer."、Um, and also, some flatmates I used to live with, actually, that was back in two thousand and seventeen in Peckham,、um, they also said, "Like, yeah, you know, we end up wearing three or four layers. Like, I will just." Kind of throw on a thick jumper, and you know, and then that's fine. I'm fine. That this way we can spend more in a pint in a pub, or just buy some, you know, snazzy clothes rather than spend it on electricity. 
But for for a person coming from a cold country, this is something quite difficult to understand. And there is another funny, funny or not funny, actually, it's not funny. Um, the problem, you know, that kind of weird relationship of British residents um, with electricity and heating in winter um, kind of casts my mind back to the times I taught in schools and you know very often when um when international students come to study English in London they decide to live with a host family so it's some kind of uh, you know any kind of London or around London based family that takes on a student gives them a room and maybe gives them um breakfast and then you know they're supposed to kind of interact and um, they're supposed to kind of help the student practice and develop their English. The fact is that those families do not really have time to entertain or speak to the students. And the students are kind of left to, you know, left on their own. Let's say one out of 10 students will be happy or lucky to have a family that actually takes care of them. So basically, I've had students from Thailand, from Turkey, from quite tropical or, you know, really hot countries that would end up sleeping in winter jackets in the bedrooms because the families would not turn the heating on because they would just be fine. But also, you know, they've lived here all their lives. So they're more used to lower temperatures than, say, a person from tropical Thailand, right? So that's quite absurd and not really that great of a of a perspective. So yes, if you know anyone who's thinking of coming to London, tell them do not book um, a room with a host family. And the fifth habit. Is it a habit? Or maybe it's some sort of a, I don't know, no way out kind of situation. People flat share until very, very late in life. So unlike in other countries in Europe, you will see people in the late 30s, in the early 40s, or even late 40s, flat sharing. Now, what is flat sharing? Flat sharing is basically sharing a flat. So those who are not in a relationship or married, but rather single, they will kind of end up, usually, end up living in a flat share unless they, you know, are lucky enough to have a higher salary, let's say. But, you know, even if you have a decent salary, you might still find it quite difficult to pay, to pay rent for like a self-contained studio or a self-contained kind of a accommodation, which would be one bedroom and living room, which is not, you know, a lot of space anyway. The prices are exorbitant. Um, the market is an absolute joke. And uh, the UK has suffered from a lot of housing crisis. It's not only um, in, you know, the case of, let's say, students or, or people who come from other countries to live in London. It's also the case for Brits who have moved to London uh, from other parts of the country, they still flatsher. I mean, in a way, you might also want to flatsher because you don't want to be alone. It's very, very easy to feel detached and lonely 
in such a big uh, city like London, you know, so um, there might be various reasons. Okay, and I've got a bonus one for you. No umbrellas. So basically, the real Londoner, okay, or the real London resident will not carry an umbrella if it rains. I mean, I know that London is known to be one of the rainiest places in in Europe, but the truth is that there are other cities, for instance, Rome, that have a much higher rainfall than London does. So I think the thing is that it rains quite often, but the rain could be just a drizzle, you know, like it won't pour down very often. I think that you get kind of tor- torrential um, storms more often in other European places. Um, so basically, people do not carry umbrellas and I never have an umbrella with me, you know. Uh, at some point, I decided to invest in either a baseball cap or a hooded jacket uh, that I can, you know, kind of just put the hood on when it rains or simply you just kind of walk in that drizzle. You don't really mind the rain because you know that that rain will pass, you know, two minutes from now and it will be sunny. So, yeah, that's quite um, fickle, isn't it? It's quite fickle. The weather in the UK is quite fickle. So, yes, guys, this is the second episode of my podcast. And I just told you about the five London habits, five London things that may shock you and a bonus one. And I will be extremely happy if you get in touch telling me what you think. You don't have to agree. I'll be happy if you disagree. Maybe you have a different idea, a different view of London. Um, Yeah. Let me know how it went and um, see you next time.